Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Welcome to this episode on the last chapter of the book of Genesis. Chapter 50 is here. Of course, I will do an ending episode with my final thoughts on this great book. I always end each book with my final thoughts. But for now, we will focus on this final chapter. And in many ways, it has been an amazing journey through this great book. It lays the groundwork for the following book, Exodus, the book of Exodus. This last chapter records the death of Jacob, and it notes the manner in which his body was treated. And apparently even the Egyptians recognized God's hand upon Jacob. He was probably somewhat of a national hero, being the father of Joseph. He was given a full state funeral and Pharaoh granted Joseph permission to honor his promise that Jacob would not be buried in Egypt, but that Jacob would be buried in the promised land, that he would be laid to rest with the others who had gone before him. And Jacob died when Joseph was 56, and Joseph lived another 54 years and died at the age of 110. And the only thing mentioned about this time period is that the brothers came to Joseph 
and again they ask forgiveness and we're going to talk about that they feared that with their father now gone that joseph would now take his revenge and they go so far as to offer themselves as slaves to joseph and of course joseph refuses before we get into the bible reading on this episode it is necessary to do a little bit of review here so let's go all the way back to abraham see god promised abraham land and he also promised him people he promised him land and he promised him people in genesis 12 god told abraham to go away from his father's house to a land that god would show him god promised i will make of you a great nation and so abraham set out for the land of course he was abram at that time now remember he gets a name change also he becomes abraham and he arrives in the promised land and the lord familiarizes him with just how far the boundary was going to go and he told abraham to look to the north and the south and the east and the west and that all that land would belong to abraham's descendants and god told abraham to walk through the length and the breadth of the land for i will give it to you and that's what we read in genesis chapter 13. and so abraham toured the land and he built an altar in hebron and this is all very interesting to consider that this promise is coming to someone who does not have a single child yet alone he's somehow going to be the father of a great nation sarah was barren you may recall and no doubt abraham became discouraged and so we read that god took abraham out under the stars and he promises abraham's offspring would be impossible to count just like the stars are impossible to count and we read in genesis 15 that abraham believed god and it was accounted to him as righteousness and we talked about the astonishing theophany and the ratification of the covenant remember there was a flaming uh, one translation says oven a flaming presence of god that passes between these two flayed parts of sacrificed animals and i gave some explanation as to how a covenant was made and this covenant is unique because it depends only upon god for its completion and so remember too that god promises that abraham's descendants would possess the land after a 400 year sojourn in a foreign land and god told abraham that their departure would happen in other words they would leave that foreign land with great possessions and they would carry back all those possessions to the promised land and we took note that abraham believed both aspects of the promise with all his heart abraham knew that he would have a people after him and he knew that they would possess all the land that he had surveyed he had walked the length and the breadth of it so god marked his covenant people with the sign of circumcision and once again affirming his promise in chapter 17 and this is when we learned that the elderly sarah would be a mother and we talked about how god would have miraculously recreated all of her reproductive organs 
And this brought us to the birth of Isaac. Abraham's faith was confirmed. Imagine the faith that it took to obey God's command now to sacrifice Isaac upon the altar. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, that Abraham did this because he knew that somehow God would raise Isaac from the dead. And we talked about how Isaac could have certainly overpowered his father at this point, but he appears to have cooperated. And at this point, Abraham believed even more so in the promise of the land. And Isaac had been born miraculously, and God had saved Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. Remember, Abraham says that God will provide for himself a lamb. Abraham knew that his children's children were going to possess the land, even if it did have to come after 400 years of captivity in a foreign land. Abraham's faith was boosted all the more. Abraham was just passing through, so to speak, but he knew the land was his. And it follows that when Sarah died, he would purchase a family plot in the heart of the promised land. This is significant because Abraham wanted her bones to be there when his descendants would one day possess that land. Abraham was making a sort of public declaration. He was saying, listen, everyone, God has promised me this land. Even though it doesn't look like it today, it's already mine. My beloved wife's body is entombed in Hebron, and it will be mine. And so I want us to look at this as no ordinary tomb. This was a monument of the faith that Abraham had. And it was a a monument that his offspring would look upon and remember the promise. So God would keep his promises. And God's word tells us that it was by faith that Abraham embraced God's promise that his descendants would inherit the land. And by faith, Abraham sojourned in the promised land for about a hundred years. He lived there as though he already owned it. And we purchased the cave at Machpelah that we just read about. That's in Hebron. It was an act of faith. Buying, burying Sarah in the cave was an act of faith. And it was by faith that Isaac buried Abraham with Sarah in the same location. By faith, Abraham's grandson now, Jacob, buried his father, Isaac, at Hebron. Jacob, whose sons would father the tribes of Israel, lived knowing that his grandfather's God had made a promise. How can we forget the dream Jacob had at Bethel as recorded in Genesis 28? Jacob, while running from Esau, dreamed of a ladder with angels ascending and descending. In this dream, God introduces himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac, and he promises yet again that the land upon which Jacob now sleeps will belong to his offspring. Jacob returns to Bethel after his flight of a 20-year self-imposed exile with Laban, and God appeared to him again and blessed him 
with the name Israel, according to Genesis 35. Jacob believed in the promise of God so much so that he made Joseph promise twice to bury him in the land of promise. And we need to keep that in mind as we look at this passage of scripture here, this final chapter. Jacob knew just as sure as God keeps all the other promises that God was going to keep this promise, even if it meant there were 400 years of captivity. And perhaps Jacob already suspected that things would change as they stayed in Egypt. Long after Jacob's death, perhaps he was thinking the stage is already being set. I can see it. Even though things are good right now with Joseph and Egypt, and Egypt has been so welcoming We don't know what tomorrow holds, and God has promised 400 years. So everything I just mentioned is what we need to bear in mind as we read this final chapter. Think about the promises of God to the covenant people. Think about everything that we've read. Think about Israel's belief in God, the God of Isaac and the God of Abraham. Think about Jacob telling his sons that one day all this land would be theirs. So, with our hearts and our minds properly attuned to what's going on, let us now read and hear the words of the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. And my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, 
he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus shall you, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Maker and the uh, Maker, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Before his death, Jacob had now lived in Egypt with his favorite son for 17 years. It is reasonable for us to assume that Jacob viewed Joseph as the son who had come back from the dead. In a figurative or in a manner of speaking, he had. If Joseph had been the favorite son before, imagine how much it must have intensified at this point. It would only be natural for any father to be proud of the accomplishments of his son. Imagine how proud you would be if your son had risen to become the second most powerful man in the kingdom. And I would note here also that Pharaoh had attempted to fully assimilate Joseph, and you've heard me say this before, he wanted him to be Egyptian. And though Joseph reigned in Egypt, Joseph kept his identity as a covenant child of promise. I emphasized this over and over through the book of Genesis, that God has a covenant people for himself. So Joseph was in Egypt, but Egypt was not in Joseph. In all of this, Joseph was not ashamed of Israel's God. He was not ashamed of those promises, nor was he ashamed of his father. Now, I often imagine these two, father and son, attempting to make up for lost time and spending as much time together as Joseph's schedule would permit. And I imagine that this mighty ruler sitting at the feet of his father, he was savoring every moment. 
So let's consider two things here about Joseph. First, let's look at his sorrow. Remember that when he finally revealed himself to his brothers, that he fell on their necks and he wept. And remember when he was reunited with his father, those same words were used to describe that reunion. But now we see Joseph falling upon his father's face and weeping as his father has just died. And consider for a moment that the only places that scripture records Joseph weeping, it is for his brothers or for his fathers. And the second thing I would want us to consider is Joseph's command. One of the first things we read in this chapter is that Joseph had his father's body embalmed. Now I want to talk about this a little bit. This is an Egyptian practice and it was designed, as we know, to preserve the body after death. Egyptian religion, and this would be under the cult of Osiris, one of the gods that they worshipped, it required that the body be preserved so that the deceased could enjoy the afterlife. So every dead body in Egypt was treated with some kind of care. Now, how much attention the body received would be determined by how much money the family had. Funny how things don't really change, do they, over time? Some things don't anyway. But the poor people would simply be washed and their bodies would be dried out in the sun. And some would be packed with salt. And those with a little more money would be injected with uh, juniper oil, which would dissolve and ease the removal of organs. And of course, they could scent the body before salting. But neither of these options included a mummy wrap. And the rich got a total redo as well as the body wrap. So all the organs would be extracted and the body would be soaked in a solution and then bound in linen and laid out for an eternally good time. <laughs> the life of the rich and the pious in Egypt. <laughs> the point is that the Egyptians did this to maintain a personal identity in the afterlife. And it's important to note that embalming was not practiced in Israel. So why is it done here? Why does Joseph command it to be done? Well, it was done so that Jacob's body could be tra transported back to Canaan. It's going to take a little bit of a journey and without preservation, that body would rot and stink and decay. So Joseph did this strictly to get the body back to the promised land as he had promised. Superstitions and false worship of false gods are not what informed Joseph's decisions and his actions. And it's there's just a little thing here. It's just very small. But it's mentioned here that the physicians embalmed Israel, not professional mortuary priests of the cult of Osiris or any other god in Egypt, but physicians embalmed Israel. So the Bible tells us that there were 70 days of mourning for Israel, and this was probably the total of 
40 days of the embalming followed by 30 days of Hebrew mourning. It's interesting that 30 days was the amount of time that the nation Israel would later mourn for Aaron and Moses in Numbers 20, 29 and Deuteronomy 34, verse 8. But the fact that the Egyptians wept for him 70 days indicates that national mourning was ordered by the Pharaoh as a sign of respect for Joseph. Also worthy of note is that 70 days was just two days short of the mourning for the death of a Pharaoh. So I point this out just simply to say that Pharaoh and the Egyptian people are showing respect for Jacob, Joseph's father. And there's so much here concerning the truly royal treatment of Joseph and his father. Notice that Joseph did not go to Pharaoh directly with his request. He was basically asking for time off to mourn and to bury his father. And he was in no condition to have an audience with Pharaoh. He was overcome with grief, but he spoke his request to members of the household of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's response is truly remarkable. There was nothing short of a national parade as the Egyptians of the highest levels of state went with Joseph to bury Israel. Not only was Pharaoh's house present with their servants, but there appears to even been a military procession as well. And the uh, text repeats the word all as the story is told, which indicates that the attendance of the mayor of the members of Pharaoh's household, his leadership team, it was mandatory. So notice that there's similarities to what happened in the next book of the Bible. As Joseph now carries the bones of his father to the land of promise, so too with the children of Israel, they will carry the bones of Joseph out of Egypt during the Exodus. And that is, like I said, in the next book of the Bible. But just as now all the wealth and might of Egypt is on display in this great parade of honor, so too will the Egyptians give their wealth to the children of Israel when their 400-year captivity is over and they have a sort of parade of their own. Only it will be different and it will fulfill the promise of God. So I want to skip ahead to the end of this narrative and thus to the end of this great book. The topic is forgiveness. Though Joseph had forgiven them, there is no record in the biblical account that his brothers had ever confessed their sins to him, much less asked for forgiveness. Now, certainly he had overheard their conversations with each other as previously covered, but they had not come to him directly and asked forgiveness. This resulted in a conscience. Listen to this. You need to get this. It results in a conscience that has never been assuaged. You see, confession is important, even though forgiveness may have already been given. You need to say it. You need to admit it. You need to bow the knee. And since they had hated Joseph when he was a boy, it only seemed fitting that now he should hate them. The brothers feared that Joseph's tenderness toward them was all for show. It was all for their father. And now their father is gone and Joseph would surely destroy them. 
And thinking like this comes from a heart that is slow to recognize grace. And so the brothers unnecessarily sought Joseph's forgiveness. And notice something here in their plea for Joseph's forgiveness. They lie. You know, some habits are very hard to break, even after a tremendous work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a wicked man. And what is this lie? Well, it's just a little thing, but I want you to notice it. In verse 16, they tell Joseph that Jacob, their father, had given a command that Joseph was to forgive them. There is no biblical record that Jacob had ever given such a command. He had given no command to Joseph to forgive his brothers. In fact, there's no hint of it anywhere. I would go so far as to say it would be contrary to what we know of Jacob for Jacob to ask or command Joseph to forgive his brothers. There's no evidence that Joseph had done anything to cause his father to even imagine that he would harm his brothers. Their entire plea for forgiveness begins with a lie. And I can say that because not one word of it came from Jacob. So now with that said, they do confess their evil actions against Joseph. They do not call it a lapse of judgment. They do not try to come up with some excuse. And they don't try to say they're not guilty by reason of insanity. They don't try to justify what they did. They offer no excuse. In fact, they call their actions transgressions. They call it evil and they call it sin. And this is why we can believe that the confession is a real confession. As I've stated before, when God brings you to this point, there are no excuses. You don't try to plead your case. You have no case and you realize it. You've been found guilty in the courtroom of God. And when you confess your sins, when you repent and believe the gospel, that's when the liberty comes. That's when the freedom comes. And that's when the Holy Spirit teaches you to embrace the grace so freely given by God for his people. Once again, we see the tears of Joseph. He had forgiven them years ago at this point. He had provided for them and now they grovel before him as though he had just passed judgment already and he, he had ordered their execution. And he weeps once again because as someone might say today, you just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. But look at Joseph's threefold answer of comfort to them. First, he says, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God. In other words, you have no reason to fear me. Please do not be afraid of me. I am your brother. I've got a lot of power, but I do not get to play God. And second, he tells them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. I really want you to get the second part here. Here we see once again that God is in total control of the affairs of men. Do what you will, and indeed you will bear the responsibility for your actions before God. But know this, dear friend, you will never thwart 
the plans of God. He alone works all things together for his glorious purposes. And our pain, especially when we are called by God, it is for our good. And that, dear friends, is hard to hear. It is hard to live. But he does things in our lives and he speaks to us through the pain. Quite honestly, in many cases, we would not listen any other way. You see, the character traits that had to take place in Joseph came through the pain. And it was ordained by God. How can you say such a thing, James? How can you say such a thing? Well, I can tell you why I say it. I say it because it's in the word of God. And Joseph said it. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And the third part of this is Joseph tells them again. Now he's repeating it. Do not be afraid. And he promises to take care of them and their families. Then finally, we read of Joseph's death. While there was most definitely a state parade, his body was not carried to the promised land immediately. And Joseph was fine with the promise of the future generations to carry him out of Egypt. And toward the end of his life, Joseph was probably known as the savior of Egypt. And it is reasonable to think that his service to Pharaoh continued in a different capacity once the days of the famine were over he had proved his faithfulness to pharaoh and he had definitely been prospered because of the hand of god and so i kind of like to imagine that a somewhat retired joseph is on a farm somewhere in egypt playing the role of grandfather and i also imagine that upon his death he would have been wrapped like a mummy and as the Bible tells us, his body is placed in a coffin in Egypt. I believe that it would have been part of the Egyptian custom to display the coffin in some kind of a state house or a palace or some place. It would have been treated as a shrine. But let us consider the very last words spoken by Joseph to his brothers. He says, I am dying but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And it then says that Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So we see this desire within the covenant people of God. Do not leave my bones here. This is not my land. God has promised me something else. When the time comes, take what's left of my physical body out of this place and let my bones be laid to rest in the promised land. So this great book of Genesis ends with Joseph coffin, Joseph's coffin awaiting the exodus. And that is the story of the second book of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We will be taking a break from the Old Testament as we begin the next season. But what is important is that the Old 
Testament ends with the expectation of the Messiah, who, when he did come by grace, led his people in a second exodus from the bondage of this world. So the next episode will be my final thoughts on Genesis. Until then, contemplate the truths found here at the very beginning. Amen. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith may you grow in christ in the study of the bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged. Encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.